So I'm going to begin a new series that's really kind of parallel to the series I've been sharing about living with vision. I'm calling it Living with the Word. And uh, it is rather parallel. You'll kind of notice it sort of follows in the same direction. But its, uh, it's focus is not on the vision that God's put in us, but upon His Word and how we live with the Word of God and interact with it, its place in our life. And um, I'm going to share with you a scripture if you want to turn to it, kind of get prepared. It's in Psalm 119. 119, and it's uh, verse 162 to verse 165. 162 to 165, Psalm 119. Now, <clears throat> what you're going to hear when I share this verse is the fearless, forthright testimony of a man or a woman of God joyfully living in a corrupt world because they've learned how to live with the Word of God. And so you'll sort of, you'll catch that when, when we read this. Psalm 119. I rejoice at your word as one who finds great spoil. I hate and abhor falsehood, but your law do I love. Seven times a day and all day long do I praise you because of your righteous decrees. Great peace have they that love your law. Nothing shall offend them or make them to stumble. One more time. Let me just read it through. Listen. Each phrase is pregnant with significance and meaning for us today. I rejoice at your word as one who finds great spoil. I hate and abhor falsehood, but your law I love. Seven, day, seven times a day and all day long I praise you because of your righteous decrees. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing shall offend them or make them to stumble. So this is the confession. The fearless, bold, forthright confession of a man or a woman could be you praise the Lord, joyfully living in a world that they find abhorrent. They hate the deception. They hate the ugliness, uh, the depravity, the corruption of the world. They're sick of it, but they manage to go through life and they're living in this world, in that context, joyfully because they've learned to live with the Word of God. If you don't live with the Word of God, you live with the circumstances. And so... The corruption gets on you, the things you abhor mess with you, and you're upset. And you walk around uptight, you walk around upset, you walk around on guard and discouraged. But this is the testimony of somebody who's walking victoriously. And no matter what goes on around them, they're not being defeated by it. They've got their own victory going on, has nothing to do with what's going on around them. It's a victory that's on the inside, and it comes from the Word of God. And so the psalmist says here, I love your Word. I hate the falsehood, but I love your Word. And my love for your Word makes it possible me, for me to not be offended and to have great peace, even though all around me is turmoil. So you get the idea. So this whole series is going to be about breaking down that statement and the various phrases in it. This morning I want to look at the phrase great peace because the promise is that as a result of loving God's word, 
and receiving and living with it, I end up getting great peace. No matter how much I hate the falsehood deception and how it grinds lives down and destroys society and makes life hard for people, I find the ability to live joyfully. But it's because my peace as a result of your word. So let me say this to you. This is, uh, I guess it's a little formulaic. It's a little bit of a formula. But um, they don't call us disciples for nothing because the word disciple comes from the word what? Discipline. So it takes effort, takes deliberate effort, intentionality, and work. So this Christian walk has discipline to it. If you don't know how to use that discipline and be trained and walk in that training, you will be defeated by the world. So God's trying to teach us how to have victory. Got that? Good. Living with the Word, that phrase, living with the Word, which is the theme of this series, means that you, one, understand the nature of God's Word. Two, you know how it works. And three, you build your life upon it. As a result, you have great peace. So you understand the nature of God's Word. And ask yourself the question, do I understand the nature of the Word of God? Is this just a printed or a ledger or, or a, a historic account? Some ideas or thoughts? Is it something else? If so, what is it? Do I know how it works? How do the things that I read about in here that are phenomenal, how do they happen? How do we get them to happen in our lives? How does it work? And the third thing is, am I building my life on the Word of God? Do I understand it? Do I know how to do it? And as a result, am I doing it? Do I walk in great peace, regardless of the fact that I abhor and detest the deception, delusion, and the corruption in the world around me? Well, the first thing to understand, if you're going to understand the nature of God's Word, is that the Bible teaches that God's Word is seed. Any farmers? Anybody have a garden? Anybody plant anything? How many of you know what a seed is, know how it works? All right, eventually we get the hands to go up. You all are tired this morning or something? All right, so God's Word is seed. This is seed. You can't grab the Bible, throw it on your table, dive in, start eating. It's seed. It'll produce something that will fill, satisfy, build you up. But you just can't get it and start chewing scriptures. Do you understand what I'm about to say to you? God's word is seed. Now listen, God communicates and works through his word. That's his chosen mode of operation. God's God, so he could operate any way he wants to. He could operate, for example, by magic. All oh, we see these movies all the time about how magic works and spiritism and everything. Things just magically happen. You have to figure out these formulas. But God has made us in his image and likeness. How do you make your marriage work? You communicate. It's through the word, right? You communicate with one another. What happens when you don't communicate? All the other stuff starts breaking down, getting difficult, doesn't it? So God has chosen to express, to work, to produce 
through the word. God is confrontational. He is direct. He wants to relate with us face to face. means word to word. God communicates and works through his word. The word of God is the creative glue of the universe. It is the tool that creates the universe. And the Bible says God holds the universe together through the word of his power. So God made everything through his word, and God keeps everything through his word. So God's word is seed. Let me, let me um, direct you to Mark chapter 4 and the parable of the sower. It was the greatest parable Jesus ever gave. I say that not because it's my favorite, but because apparently it's Jesus' favorite. He said it to the disciples, if you don't understand this, when he gave the parable of the sower, and they came to him and said, well, what does this mean? He said, you don't understand this? Because all those guys back then, they did have gardens and they knew how to plant. And uh, Jesus had just said to them, in Mark chapter 4, verse 3 through 20, if you want to write that down, you can go home and study this. Jesus had said to them, listen. So he says, let me get your attention. Behold, which means look. I'm going to say something to you that's going to give you an opportunity to have your eyes opened and see. So I want you to listen and you'll see something. How come your kids keep falling down? How come they keep messing up? How come they, because they don't listen and therefore they don't see what you're saying to them. As long as they don't listen and they don't see, guess what? They're stuck in the same ramp, the same cycle. They just keep doing the same dumb thing over and over again. Till you get their attention, listen and see. So Jesus says to his disciples, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And he talks about how that the sower went out and he put seed uh, haphazardly. He just walked along and he just threw seed out. And then he said another sower went out and he sowed, but some of that seed fell in shallow ground. So it did produce a little bit of a plant, but because it was only a couple inches underground, it quickly sprang up. There was a quick result, but as soon as the sun came out, it scorched the little plant and the plant dried up because it didn't have any depth of earth. And then he said the third sower goes out, he sows, but he throws his seed in ground. He gets it deep, but the ground is chock full of rocks. And so if you've ever farmed in New England, for example, you know you've really got to work like crazy to de-rock that piece of ground before you can even farm anything in it. I remember my first year up there pastoring, I decided to build a garden beside the church. So I took a, a pretty decent sized area. I had to get a, a big gas-powered tiller to go up and turn around, and I turned all these rocks up, drug them all out, and then ran it again, and it got more rocks. I think, I think the bowels of hell were belching up rocks as I was going because I couldn't believe it. We could build stone wall around the church wall. The rocks are got out of the little bitty patch. So, you know, I could have said, we didn't run into this problem in Florida. Well, we're not in Florida, children. You know, instead of complaining, you've got to deal with the situation that you find yourself in. Is that not right? So, you know, this, this third sower, he throws the seed. It goes into rocky ground. Guess what happens? Um, it, oh, I'm sorry. The rocky ground was the second sower. It 
it, that's why it didn't have much depth because it was rocky. The third sower, he throws it in ground that's already filled with plants and grass and weeds and stuff. So guess what happens? It's got to share the ground with all this other stuff. And all those were already there. So they just choke that word and it, it's non-productive. Fourth sower goes, drop, some of you look like you've heard this before. Fourth sower goes, he drops the seed in ground that he's worked, he's gotten the rocks out, he's pulled all the weeds, he gets it down in the ground, he waters it, guess what? It produces fruit, isn't that awesome? See, the first three sowers, they were like, well, this seed ain't no good. It's not doing anything. It, this, I need to go back and get some better seed. That's the problem. Christians keep thinking, well, I need to go to a better church. I need to get a better Bible. I need to, but it's how we're treating the word of God. Are we take, so Jesus gives them the parable of the sower. They come to him afterwards and they said, what does that mean? Jesus said to them, you don't understand what I'm saying? He said, if you don't understand this parable, how will you understand all parables? So the parable of the sower, or the fact that God's word is seed, is key. If you don't get it, you're not going to get anything about Christianity. Nothing's going to work for you. And I don't care what church you go to. I don't care how wonderful your intentions are. That The key is to understand sowing the word. That's where everything falls in behind that. So Jesus expounds the parable and he said the sower is sowing the word of God. So God's word is seed. And like seed, the word will not produce under casual conditions. You just can't throw it to the roadside and expect that it's going to work and then criticize it for being bad seed because it didn't produce anything. Neither will the word work or survive on the surface. That's another thing we should notice. When you just throw it on the surface of the ground or just plant it shallow, this thing is not designed to succeed on the surface. You can't be casual and you can't be surface about the word of God. You're not going to get the right result. How many of you agree with that? So it requires, God's word requires depth and it requires process. You can't be casual. It's not going to be overnight. There's a process involved. Now listen, Satan can rob the entire world, and he's been doing a pretty good job of it for 6,000 years, of God's blessings by simply distracting people so that their relationship to the word of God is casual and shallow. Wherever people as individuals or as families or as groups or societies have gotten together and gotten serious, stop being casual, and develop some depth in the Word of God, that individual, that family, that society, that nation began to receive the blessings of God. Were there problems? Sure. Were there tears? Sure. Were there issues? Sure, but there were blessings. And when you look at human history, you can discern human history by that principle. But when they dig in and get serious about the word, then Satan has to fight you directly. 
He can't lay siege to you and just starve you out because you're casual and shallow. If you're casual and shallow, the devil can get you to defeat yourself. He lays siege to your life, surrounds you by problems. You choke yourself out. But if you learn to get deep and get serious about the Word of God, guess what happens? Now the devil's got to take you on, head on. He's got to get into hand-to-hand -hand combat with you. And he's in a losing battle when he does. Because he cannot defeat a word-based, word-living child of God. He'll fight. He'll wrestle with you. Fight the fight of faith with him. You're fighting the winning battle. Praise the Lord. When the Bible says fight the good fight of faith, you think to yourself, what is a good fight? Well, I've been in a lot of fights. Guess what? The good fights were the ones I won. <laughs> so, good fights, not good because there wasn't any pain involved. It was good because I won it. Now, if you're not interested in fighting, you're just not even, you're not even ready for this class. <laughs> and it's really sad, because you know what? If you don't want to fight the fight of faith, you're going to fight anyway. Life is going to beat your bottom like a red-headed stepchild. You're going to fight every day of your life, whether you like it or not. That's what the nature of the world is. And money can only cushion you so much. And sometimes people build a palace out of wealth and then commit suicide in the middle of it. Amen. Because money doesn't keep the devil out. Amen. So when you dig in and get serious about the word of God, Satan then has to fight you head on. But he's fighting a losing battle. Psalm 119.20 says, So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. That was spoken about the early church. The early church was birthed in persecution. They were being persecuted by the, the, the Jewish leaders. They were being persecuted by the Romans. They were paying a price physically for their faith. Guess what? They were flourishing. They were growing. And they eventually took down the Roman Empire. They eventually became inserted and from within took down the empire of Rome. How did it happen? Right there, uh, Acts 19 and 20. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. What prevails? Church with the best music? The smartest preachers? None of those things in the natural. Their advantages are limited. None of them produce victory. In the kingdom of God, there's only one thing that produces victory. Sow the word, and the word will prevail. In Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11, we see forward in time the great conflict of the ages as Satan comes into direct conflict with the people of God. And the Bible says, Revelation 12, 11, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. So the word is seed. You need to plant it. You can't be casual, can't be surface. Secondly, if you're going to understand the word of God, you need to understand that God's word is surgically precise. Surgically precise. If you went to the doctor and your physician told you, you have a tumor and it's very serious. You need to go see a surgeon. 
and your neighbor said to you, you know, <clears throat> I've worked on myself a few times, and I've, you know, I've been on the internet, I've been uh, looking at these YouTube channels and everything, and I think I can help you with that, save you some money, what do you think? And, um, you know, he just sharpens up his fishing knife, gets some alcohol. You're going to trust your life? No. You, wh who, what are you going to look for? The best darn surgeon you can find. The best that money can buy. Is that not right? You're going to let somebody cut on you, open you up? Of course not. The Bible says God's word is surgically precise surgically precise. Let me show you what I mean. Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God is living and active. So it's alive, but it's not just alive in one place. It's moving. It's going forth. It's surging. It's active. It's growing. God's word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of soul from spirit and the joints from the marrow. It is able to judge the desires and thoughts of the heart. Do you see that, that when the seed is sown, what's really being sown is a surgeon's hand with a scalpel in it. God's word has a brain attached to it, a mind attached to it. Once you start sowing the word into your life, it's going to go hunting for the disease. It's going to go hunting for the sickness. The word of God's going to start looking for what's wrong. He's got a surgical blade. God's word is surgically precise. When you start reading the word, the word will start reading you. Why? Because God's word has a mind of its own. It's called the Holy Spirit or the spirit of truth. Now you can read uh, your favorite philosopher. You can uh, read memes on Facebook. You can uh, read any kind of manual or book that you want to read. None of them are like the word of God. God is in his word. The Holy Spirit is in this word. When you start planting it, it's not just a thing. It's a hymn. When you read it, he'll read you. And he's in there like a surgeon hunting, and he's going to work. Now, this is really encouraging because too many of you think you're operating on yourself. You think it's your job to straighten out your idiosyncrasies or your problems. Let's say you've got an issue with anger and impatience. And so you're reading scriptures about patience and you're doing do-it-yourself appendectomies. You're trying to make yourself more patient by reading scriptures against anxiety. But the Bible says that God's word is living and active. And when you come before the Word of God, you read those scriptures about peace and, and about uh, anxiety and the promises of God, the Word will start going to work in you. God will start moving all over your mind and your heart and your attitude. And as you pray, 
See, that's how you start integrating with the Word of God. You water the seed, you push it down the ground, you water it. You're, what are you watering it with? You're watering it with prayer, meditation. You're thinking about it, you're chewing on it. You're not just casual. You're not just throwing it out on the surface. As you do that, God will start going to work in you. He'll start coming up with things you didn't even know about. You'll be going along, and all of a sudden, something will pop up, the Holy Spirit went and found a key, an issue, a problem. He'll deal with it. He'll bring it right up to you, and you'll go, wow, I never quite realized that. And the Lord will cut that thing and take it out of you like a skillful surgeon, and you'll think, oh, what happened to my anger problem? Well, that's where it was coming from. God will deal with it. God, see, God does it, but if you don't put the word in there, there's nothing for God to work with. So, God's Word has a mind of its own. It's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth. And He'll find that target, those areas that need correction, those areas that need help, those areas that need healing. That's your answer. You could save yourself some counseling money. I'm not against counselors, by the way. If a counselor can help you plant the Word of God in you, great. Otherwise you might as well be watching Facebook memes. So, John chapter 6, verse 63. Listen to what Jesus said about the Word of God. The Spirit is the one who gives life. Human nature is of no help. What did I just say? You might as well be watching Facebook memes, trying to help. The Bible says the Spirit is the one who gives life. Where is the Spirit? The Spirit is in the word waiting to be released in your life when you plant this word on the inside of you. Human nature, Jesus went on to say, is of no help. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit-giving and life-producing. Wow. The words that I speak to you are spirit-giving. You say, oh, I wish I could get the spirit moving in my life like it works in her life. The word, God is no respecter of person. Plant that word in you, Holy Ghost will start moving. Spirit giving, life producing. The third thing I want to talk about this morning, if we're understanding God's word, we're understanding how it works, the nature of it, how it works, and we want to put it to use. We want to put it to work. We want to learn how to live with the word of God. Is that God's word corrects, helps, and heals us. Correction, help, and healing come from the Word of God. Now, let me just pause for a moment. This is going to be very obvious, but it should be said, because even though it's obvious, we overlook sometimes the most obvious things. If God's Word is where help, correction, help, and healing come from, why do we think we can have a casual, shallow relationship with the Word of God and yet expect correction, which leads to help, which leads to healing. Why would we expect God to manifest in our life that way when you don't know any more Scripture than you knew five years ago? Some of you have not memorized any more Scriptures than you did a year ago. Some of you haven't learned or memorized or expand your library of knowing the Word of God. You think, now he sounds like he's talking about the law. 
Hold on a minute. Law, okay? I rejoice at your word as one who finds great spoil. I hate and abhor falsehood. But your law do I love. Seven times a day, all day long, do I praise you because of your righteous decrees. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing shall offend them. When he says law, he's not talking about the law of Moses. He's talking about the principles, God's law, the principles of the word. Why do we call the word of God a law? Because they always work. In science, you cannot say that a thing is a law if even once it doesn't work. Then it's a theory. But if it works, if it's truth, then it's a law. So God's word needs to become a law to you and I. Not a suggestion, not an option, a law. Once it becomes a law and it's, you take the attitude that God is ruling my life through the word of God, I will stop, I will move, I will turn, I will adjust myself through the confrontation of God's word. If I won't, then what am I? A lawbreaker. I am lawless. I am what? A rebel. And there are a lot of Christians that practice rebellion but expect healing. They practice rebellion against the word, but they expect blessing. They, seven days a week, compromise, which is just simply another form of practicing rebellion against the word of God. They don't understand why the miracles aren't flowing in their life. You don't hear a lot of preaching like this anymore today, do you? We w you preach like this, you wouldn't have a mega church. You'd have a bunch of little churches. You couldn't build a mega church saying stuff like this. Are you listening to me? You know that's, you know I'm preaching right. You don't have to say amen if you don't want to. That's all right. I know I'm preaching right. So listen to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20. God's writing this book of wisdom called Proverbs. Chapter 1, he wants to get this out on the table right away. He, he, he wants to throw this out. Heads up, here it is. Everything I'm going to say is going to be chock full of wisdom. Every chapter after this, but hear this. So here it is. Chapter 1. Wisdom calls out in the street. You should respond to my rebuke. Then I would pour out my thoughts to you, and I would make my words known to you. Wow. Wisdom calls out in the street. What is wisdom saying? What is the wisdom of God saying? Calling out in the street, respond to my rebuke. You're going the wrong way. You're thinking the wrong way. You are acting the wrong way. Something is not right. Respond to my rebuke. Then, instantly, I would pour out my thoughts to you. What's the problem with the world today? They want all God's thoughts. They want the magic sauce. They want to know how to make the success happen. They don't want to change. They don't want to respond to rebuke. Nobody, we're teaching our children today that they're entitled to not be rebuked. You can't be a teacher in a classroom today. You won't have your job for very long in many of our schools, and increasingly so, if you rebuke your students. Whatever nonsense, crazy, nuttiness comes out of their mouth, 
It's their truth. You've got to honor it. We are teaching a society of people who believe that they ought to be able to get the wisdom and the words of God and the thoughts of God, but never have to correct themselves, never have to be reproved. What did God say at the very beginning of the book of Proverbs? I am rebuking you. Wisdom's calling out in the street. Hear me and respond. Then my thoughts, I'll pour them out on you. I will make known to you my words. Isn't that awesome? The New Testament really makes it simple. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and be healed. Repent and be saved. Glory to God. What parent among you sets a standard for right behavior in your family, then comes along your third child and decides it ain't going to be that way anymore. I want it this way. And you say, well, that's their truth. I guess we're going to have to change the family. The, the, I guess we're going to have to change the family standard. How many of you do that? You don't do that. You don't do that and stay a family. So, in order to live joyfully, to go back to our opening statement, the man or woman of God makes an emphatic statement about, I love God's word, I hate the deception of the world, but I rejoice in the truths of God's word, so therefore I live in peace. I live joyfully in the world. So in order to live joyfully in a corrupt world, not only must you understand the nature of God's word and how it works, but you must build your life upon it. You must put it to work in your life. And you know what? That begins by operating differently than the people who live under deception. You can't come to Jesus, continue to live like people who live under deception, and expect that you're going to have the wisdom and the, the peace and the the blessings that go along with it because it doesn't work that way. You have to operate differently than deceived people operate. That, Antonio, that shouldn't be a huge revelation. You're an engineer. You think like an engineer. Should be pretty simple, simple principle. If people who are living under deception are living in various forms of hardship and, and failure, then if I want success and peace, I shouldn't operate the way they operate. I should operate differently. People who are under deception, especially in the world today, how do they operate that I should be different from that? Whenever they hurt, they look outward to find blame. Whenever something hurts their life or something doesn't go right, they start looking around to find the other people or the other circumstances or conditions that make them that way. The first place they look is outward. The person, however, who makes an about face changes the way they live. If they want to sow the word of God in their life, what's the first thing they do? Look in the mirror. Look in the mirror. Look in the mirror. People of the word look in the mirror for their answers. This week I had a great time fellowshipping with Marty Spann, and <clears throat> we spent a number of hours just sharing. And we had this great conversation. I want to share it with you just a little bit. We were talking about the world, and um, we were talking about 
What is the root of the sickness in our society today? And Marty brought up a great point that I thought just quantified everything. It was really wonderful. He said, nobody looks in the mirror. Everybody blames everybody else. And so we, we talked about that. We broke that down a little bit. We talked about what, might have, what life was like maybe a couple of generations ago. We basically used to teach people to straighten yourself out first. Look in the mirror before you go running off, blaming your family, blaming the people down the street or, you know, all that other stuff. So by training people to put blame outwardly, we don't look in the mirror. By not looking in the mirror, what are we doing? We are automatically making ourselves hard ground. We're shut off and God's word can't penetrate. You can never succeed as a Christian if you don't live in the mirror. If you don't live looking in the mirror. I found this intense passage. I'm going to read it to you. I want you to follow along. It's in Psalm 32. And it's from verse 3, if you're taking notes, down to verse 9. It's a little bit lengthy, but I want you to listen to what the writer, the author of this psalm is saying. I want you to think about the person who, it's not my fault, seals themselves off, takes that position, always looking out there, always in, in battles with society and battles with other people, but they're never looking in the mirror and dealing with themselves. So, keeping that in mind, listen. Psalm 32, 3. When I kept silence... Before I confessed my sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all the day long. For day and night, your hand of displeasure was heavy upon me. My moisture was turned <clears throat> into the drought of summer. How many of you have come across that word in your Bible, selah, S-E-L-A? You know what that means? That doesn't mean quick, go on to the next verse. Uh, Selah literally means, if you have an amplified Bible, stop, pause, and think about that. So the writer just said something. When they put Selah, they said, now just slow up, think about that statement. So we're going to do that. He writes Selah after that. When I kept silence, before I confessed my sin, I kept it in. My bones wasted, my groaning all day long. Day and night, your hand of displeasure was upon me heavily. My moisture was turned into the drought of summer. So if I stop and I think about that, what's he really saying? I dried up. There's a lot of people that are drying up. I dried up. My moisture went out of me. When the moisture goes out of you, you can't move. You're sick. He goes on and he then says, in the next verse, I acknowledged my sin to you. My iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, continually unfolding the past till all is told. In other words, I'm going to get not, it's not just a casual apology. Oops, sorry, Jesus. It's, I'm going to sit and think this through, and I'm going to lay it out before God. This began, Lord, years ago when I started to do this. And da, 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 da. I laid it out until all the past was told. Then, great big capital letters, then you instantly forgave me the guilt and iniquity of my sin. Again, there's Selah. 
right there. Pause. Think about that. When I think about that, here I was locked up in dryness, dried up because I kept silent. I wasn't about to say this is my fault. I wasn't about to say I'm wrong. I'm mad. My wife said this or this isn't working the way I want it to work. Uh, I'm mad. I'm good, and I am not going to take the fall for this. I'm not going to take the responsibility for it. The moment I look in the mirror and I say, Lord, I, I am wrong. Here's the story. Here it is. And I pour it out instantly. I mean, God does not let me twist in the wind one second. Instantly, you forgave me all the guilt. When I pause and I think about that, what does it tell me? It says, God has no desire to leave you guilty. Now, maybe somebody else would like to see you twist in the wind, but not your heavenly Father. You need to know God has no interest in seeing you dry up. God has no interest in dangling you over the flames of your own guilt and making you feel bad. He is waiting. He is waiting with, with arms of love to throw them around the prodigal son. The minute he comes into view, what did the father did? He didn't sit there on the porch and say, I hope he comes all the way up to the porch. Because if he doesn't, the Bible says he bolted out the door, ran up the path, grabbed him, threw his arms around him. God can't wait to forgive you and relieve you of those burdens, has no interest in leaving you guilty. It goes on. For this forgiveness, let everyone who is godly pray. For this forgiveness, let everyone who is godly pray. Pray to you, O Lord, in the time when you may be found. Surely... When the great waters of trial overflow, they shall not reach the spirit in him. In other words, you will not drown before God's help arrives. When you look in the mirror, when the great flood comes of trials and tribulations in life, God assures you, you won't drown before I'm there to rescue you. I will come and I will help you. And so David goes on and says, You are my hiding place, a hiding place for me. Lord, you preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs and shouts of deliverance. Look at his transformation. Just in a few verses, before I was dried up, frustrated, angry. Now I'm, I'm walking around in a celebration I am surrounded by songs of deliverance. Now, the circumstances probably haven't changed a bit. But something's changed on the inside. You're my hiding place, Lord. You're preserving me. And you are surrounding me with shouts of deliverance. And then God breaks into this psalm. And God ends by speaking about what David has just laid out. I, the Lord, will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. What does that mean? I will counsel you with my eye upon you. I will speak to you and then I'll watch your progress. I will speak my word and watch your progress. I will counsel. What does the word counsel mean? I'll speak, I'm using words. I'm not gonna get you by the throat and throttle you. Because you're not going to learn anything. You're just going to learn, oh, I ticked off God. 
God does, has no interest in training people that way. There's no training value in that kind of maneuver. If God grabs you, puts you in a headlock, slams you, you don't learn a thing. God said, I will counsel you. My words, are you, can, can you spare some time to let the counsels of God into your mind, into your heart? Because if you don't, and you just listen to Fox News all day long, or the memes, or other people's complaints, where's your deliverance going to come from? You're going to be turned into the person who's constantly looking out there. And, and there'll be a lot to look at and say, they're wrong. They're, and you're probably right. But so far as you are concerned, until you look in the mirror, you're never really going to find the place where healing can occur. So God says, I will instruct you and I will teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you using the word. Be not like the horse or the mule, which lack understanding, which must have their mouths held firm with bit and bridle. Now what does that mean? The horse and the mule have to have their mouths held with a bit and a bridle. That means they have to be controlled by their circumstances. You're not a mule. God doesn't want to treat you like a mule. He's not going to put a bit and bridle. If you want to go over there, you'll go over there. Have you ever noticed that every time you go over there, even though God doesn't want you to go over there, but you go over there, you're able to go, you go. You want to go, you go. God doesn't make a car run over you when you go to cross the street because he doesn't want you to go over there. Doesn't work that way, does it? If his word doesn't stop you, you're not going to be stopped. If his word can't counsel you, you won't get his counsel anyway. But he's not going to use a bus running you over to teach you anything. Praise God. I like that. Myself, I personally like that. So he says, do not be like the horse, the mule that needs a bridle because they lack understanding. What's the difference between you and the horse? You've got an understanding mind. God wants to speak through that understanding to you. So, people of the word who look in the mirror for their answers, they always find much more than, than those immediate answers, don't they? They find themselves being transformed into the image of Jesus. When you start living with the word of God, when you look in the mirror, you see more than your own faults or your own guilt or your own need. You find Jesus at work on the inside of you. You find him transforming you. He shows you the you that he sees, and he is building you into that image. What does he use as the medium for that build? He uses the word. I'm going to close with this scripture, and then we'll pray. 2 Corinthians 3.18 all of us, as with unveiled face, because we continue to behold in the word of God like a mirror the glory of the Lord, we are being constantly transfigured into his very own image in ever-increasing splendor and in one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. 
That is one of the greatest and most powerful verses in the entire Bible. You should have that yellowed up in your Bible. 2 Corinthians 3.18. All of us with an unveiled face because we're looking in to the mirror of God. When you look into the mirror, you're looking in to the Word of God. Spend time with the Scriptures. Look into the mirror. What you're going to see is you're going to see the glory of the Lord working in you, transforming you, making you into the image of Jesus. That guilt, what was wrong, the problems in you aren't going to last but a second. You'll lay them out before the Lord. The Lord will say, I love you. I'm forgiving you. Now let's spend time healing and turning that situation around. Let me show you who you are. And you find yourself in the word. Amen? Praise the Lord. I want us to just have one simple, simple focus as we pray this morning. And, and that is, Lord, I need to take time to let your word teach me, counsel me. If, if you've been like a mule and, and circumstances have got you going around circles, just know that God hasn't done that. God hasn't done that. He's not trying to get your attention. That's just the result of living in a consequential world. Instead, you want to break up that habit, rise up, man, woman of God, made in the image and likeness of Jesus. You have understanding like the mule doesn't. Do the best thing you could do with your understanding. Present it to the Father. Give the Father your understanding mind. Spend time in his word, and he will raise you up. He will elevate you. That will be our prayer this morning. Stand with me. Heavenly Father, your words do good to those who walk uprightly. And Father God, we want to understand, we want to know how the word works, and we want to live with your word. That is the answer for us in this life. And so Father, we come to you right now. Thank you for the phenomenal, great, and wonderful wisdom that is in the word of God. Lord, right now I pray for every man, every woman under the sound of my voice. Surely the devil fights their relationship with the word. All kinds of things he throws at them. Telling them they're not worthy. Telling them that uh, this isn't for them. But that's a lie. Because Satan always does lie. Father, I cast down every one of those lies. Every one of those thoughts that may be in somebody mind who's heard this message this morning that thought that's in there saying this won't work for me this is not for me that is the force of satan with a bit and a bridle trying to turn you away from god's help god's word in your life and trying to get you to look outwardly for the answer of your problems and blame it on something else god is wanting to set you free and give you liberty put the reins back in your hands show you the power of his transforming love. I pray that a hunger for the word will open up to you and that God will begin to direct you and that you'll find the right studies and the right path. God's word is filled with paths 
that provide fruit and peace. And I just pray that you will look there and find your answers. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise the